It occurs to me that I might end up opening every podcast this way, and I'm already feeling weird gooey butterflies because I'm calling it a podcast now, which is never the intent. But I'm excited because today I'm doing a new thing, and that's actually trying to record myself to post on the internet as not just some random headline recording, but an actual podcast. So I did... I've done some voice recordings previously on the topic of Arcane, and if you're here, you're almost certainly here because you already know about me and those things that I posted. And then the other day, I posted on Twitter, I asked folks to just post some uh, Arcane questions, and I'll do a little take on them because it's super fun for me, and I like talking about Arcane into a void, in this case, into a microphone on the floor of my closet because that's what's quietest. And people kind of seem to enjoy that. So I posted again and I asked for a whole other set of questions and y'all were happy to oblige, which is awesome. And now I'm actually going to try and maybe clean this up. Is there going to be music? No. Am I going to edit it? No. Is there art yet for the cover of this podcast? Nope, not yet. Uh, but we're going to do it anyway and it's going to be a good time. So I've got... <clears throat> A whole slew of questions, I'm going to do another set of, I'm going to hope, like two-minute takes, and make it a bit long, because, man, y'all posted a lot of questions. I'll do my best. This is unscripted. These are musings. Uh, my opinions are subject to change upon more information or somebody else coming up with something better, but if y'all want to hear me talk about Arcane, that's why you're here. The podcast is going to be named by my friend May. I posted a, a tweet asking folks to help me brainstorm an idea because I can name Fix pretty well, but I can't name podcasts apparently. And May just came in and just flexed on all of us. And within seconds came in and was like, oh, what about the last mic drop? Yes, obviously. Everyone immediately liked that. So that's what we're going with, the last mic drop. And then May also followed up and said, you know, the their favorite thing is the shared, uh, what? What did they say? Neurodivergent ramblings about our share hyperfixation arcane. And so that's going to be the tagline because it's just accurate. But without further ado, let's just start answering questions because this is becoming my new favorite thing to do. So again, I just like I did last time, I'm going to go ahead and read through the questions as they appear. Uh, Red Panda writes, Red Panda, uh, you posted a few tweets here. You know, it was funny pointing out that, so one day I'll write something to you that fits within one message. Today was not that day. I'm going to take the liberty of going ahead and distill out what you said, basically asking if the fact that Kate is an enforcer has any bearing on Vi's romantic interest in her. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think that it would have some complications maybe later down the line, but the thing about Vi is that she's extremely dependent, and she seems to be willing to look past a lot in order to preserve the bonds that she has, and we see that demonstrated in what she was willing to go through to try and reach Powder, you know, in, in within the persona of Jinx. So the fact that Kate is an enforcer, I think, is something that she's pretty readily willing to look past. I think that's demonstrated by the fact that, to your point, I don't know that Vi is aware that Kate is acting rogue. Kate is not very forthcoming about personal information, so I don't know that she would have divulged the fact that she had already been fired and was acting outside the auspices of the state in order to, you know, forge documents and free Vi. Vi probably feels like all that's on the up and up, like some piltover enforcer sprung her loose for their own purpose and you know, then they go from there. But uh, regardless, if she thinks that, then that's even more a reason to believe that she's willing to look past it because she doesn't realize that Kate isn't still an enforcer and that she isn't still working for the system. So she bonds with her pretty fast It's and pretty hard. And I think that in order to preserve that bond, she'd be willing to overlook a lot. That's just my guess. That's a really interesting question, but Vi is pretty meritocratic, so she tends to focus on the strengths 
that individual people have, and it doesn't have to be physical strength. So we see how much she values Powder's abilities with her gadgets, you know, even saying like delineating like, hey, yeah, my strength is that I can fight and your strength is that you are talented in engineering, basically. Um, so I think that she thinks that Kate is strong and valuable and unique for her own reasons and is willing to take her on her actions as opposed to necessarily take her on her uniform. Again, just a guess. But I think that's fairly well narratively demonstrated in Arcane itself. So hopefully that continues to be the case. I think there's other things that might complicate their relationship more than the fact that Kate's an enforcer or was an enforcer and probably will be back on the force again, I would guess, in, in season two. But we'll see. All right. Sam asks, what do you think of Kate's use of silence, such as when Vi leaves her on the bridge and when she hugs Huck? I adore this question because that was one of the first things I noticed about Kate. I'm going to go ahead and just acknowledge openly the fact that a lot of the fandom seems to understand Kate as neurodivergent coded, and I understand that completely because I am as well, and uh, Kate is my favorite character, and I relate to her very hard. I didn't realize that she was neurodivergent coded until people started pointing it out, so they're that was a revelation for me, kind of. I just thought that she was relatable. But her use of silence is fascinating. And I think, for me, the way I experience that is, we see Kate be so direct. She's so... I've used the phrase, like a battering ram of directness to the point where she actually can be injurious to the people around her with her speech. And we see her do that to Vi a couple times. She's kind of thoughtless and not necessarily thinking before she opens her mouth. And I don't know if that's relatable to anyone else who is on the spectrum, but I have had to dial it back and really make sure I'm stopping and taking the extra second to think about how my words might affect other people. And in the absence of knowing what to say, I'm just quiet. So what's interesting too about Kate is that I think that the affection that we see from her, just my personal interpretation is that she uses affection to actually fill the space where she doesn't know what to say or doesn't know if she has the right thing to say if she can't process out something that's actually helpful. So her willingness to hug Huck, she doesn't know anything about his experience. I mean, she has super privileged upbringing. She has no idea what it's like to be an addict, but she knows that he's hurting and probably knows that she doesn't know the right thing to say. So her default then is to offer comfort. And I think the similar, uh, we see something similar on the bridge, like you pointed out, Sam, Kate doesn't really know what to say, but she knows it's a difficult moment both for her and for Vi, and so what does she do? She goes and she offers physical reassurance. The same thing again happens in the bedroom when Vi is speaking. Kate's very quiet. She doesn't interrupt her. She doesn't know what to say. I think there we're also getting that Kate's aware to leave space for Vi because Vi is very emotional, whereas Kate's more of a processor. So she's quiet and lets Vi open up and gives her that space and then offers physical reassurance because she doesn't know what to say. Those are my, that's my feeling on Kay. That's how I see her. And I, that's why I love that question so much because her use of silence, I found very relatable. And her use of physical reassurance isn't necessarily something that I relate to, but I could see it as a, as an, a social adaptation. And it just really, that's why her character resonates with me so much, to see her kind of adjust herself around others to make them comfortable or to make herself understood and to reflect an internal state that others might not necessarily see. So thank you for that question. I love it so much. I saw it come up and I was really excited to talk about it. Riley asks, how do you think Caitlin became the person she currently is? How come she works so hard to seek the truth and to care so much? and care so much when she is raised in the most privileged environment in their society. I think Caitlin is extremely investigative. I think there's a reason why we see her focused on trying to solve problems and solve cases. And I think that she's very sensitive to when she's being lied to and to deception. So we see her point out that her mother especially doesn't want her to see the real world. We know that she's aware that she's sheltered. And I think that makes her suspicious. And I think that the coddling that she received 
made her feel very undermined and made her feel like she had a limited amount of control over her own existence. You know, we see her confront Grayson about, oh, did my parents pay you to let me win? She's very suspicious about the society in which she finds herself. And I, when she calls herself a misfit, I think it's because she's not particularly adept at, uh, I want to say deception. I feel like I keep saying that word, but the sort of two-facedness that would define Piltover's upper upper echelon or upper society. She's not really cut out for that, I don't think. She's not a very good liar. Um, she's very direct. She doesn't use figurative speech at all. She tends to just say what she thinks and say what she means, and she doesn't really haggle, and that's who she is. So the fact that she is trying to turn over every stone in her life and wants to see the world and be taken on her merit... I think is why we see her try to break out from, I think Overton called it the like the golden cage. Like she was in a golden cage and she wanted out because she knows there's something else and she knows there's things that, you know, her, her parents, the people around her aren't telling her and she wants, she wants access to that. That's my interpretation of, of Kate. That's a great question. Okay. Um, Lauren asks, when do you think Vi found out that Caitlin traded away her rifle and what do you think her reaction was? I actually have a very specific idea about what happened here at the risk of spoiling my own fic. Um, I think it happened in the Firelight Sanctuary because I can't, I can't figure out any other point in which it would have happened. I think it happened after uh, the exchange with Echo and uh, Vi when Caitlin is still in in the room. I think it happened actually after the discussion about returning the hex gem when they were preparing to leave. I think there might have been some downtime there where there was a discussion and um, just there would, would have been a moment I think when Vi would have recognized that the bag was empty. The bag on her back was empty and then the question would have come up, you know, where's your gun? And then Kate would have had to explain herself about where it went. As to what Vi's reaction would have been, I think that she would have been floored, but probably tried to hide it, maybe even frustrated or not really knowing how to incorporate that information. But at the very least, she would recognize the gest the monumental gesture that that was. The fact that Kate was giving up a defining element of her own strength in order to save Vi's life. <sighs> I mean, think about how that would have hit after what Vi had been through. And this is an extremely, uh, this is a this is a tone shift from what she's been through for the past, God, whatever, seven years, whatever they call the time jump. So I think that when we see the, the emotional parting of them on the bridge, I think that is with the information that I think that Vi has incorporated that information. That's why it's such a, a fraught departure because she is aware, you know, she just thanks for everything. At that point, she knows. I think that Kate saved her life and what Kate gave away to save her life and was so willing to do it. And I think so willing to do it and thought that it was uh, more than a fair trade, let's say. Great question. Uh, do you think the difference between how Kate looked in the bedroom scene from Vi's perspective was meant to show how she actually looked or was it just a romanticized memory? And this question is also from Lauren. Okay, this is another great question, and I love it so much because you're about to hear something that you all probably are going to say are going to say that is wrong. So, I see that image come up a lot, and every time I see it, I have to look away because it's so uncanny for me. I'm actually put off by that image that that is shown to be like this romanticized version of Kate. I don't know if I'm having difficulty reading the expression, which is entirely possible, um, given who I am as a person. But to me, when I first saw that, I thought that what Vi was experiencing was a melding of her memory of Kate looking at her and the possibility that she was about to see that close removed and see a severed head on the tray. So I see that image as actually being almost glassy-eyed and deadpanned and uh, slack in a way that I a, a dead face, a death mask would be. So every time I see that, I actually look away because it um, disturbs me a little bit. I understand that everyone else seems to be seeing that a very different way. So that, that, I guess that's how I answer that question is, for me personally, 
I thought it was Vi anticipating what horrible things she might be about to see, and she was blending. The, I don't think I don't see that image as romantic at all, and that might just be me. I'm sure it's probably just me. I was, I think that it looks like Kate's dead, um, as like a death a death mask. So now, what do I think based on everyone else's reaction? Um, I think that if anything, I think that that image is altered by Vi's mind in some sense. I do not think that that is actually how Kate looked because I've never seen Kate look that way. It's just an odd image. And maybe that's why it's incongruent for me because I've never seen her look like that in any other frame. And please, if you have a comparable frame, send it to me uh, because I would love to unsee what I feel like I saw when I first came across that image set. But that's my answer. Uh, at the very least, I do think that what we are seeing is uh, something interpreted through Vi's perspective, not how Kate actually looked. Okay, next question. Pippin! What a great name. Pippin asks, where do you think season two will pick up? Do you think there'll be another time skip or is it gonna start exactly where it ended? When we say time skip, I think that there will be a jump forward in time. I don't think, I'm doubtful that we're going to open with the bomb going off. Again, I have no idea about any of this, just to be perfectly clear. I think it's much more likely that we open on something like the rubble or a funeral or some sort of fraught interaction, maybe even some sort of chase, um, some sort of battle, and then we'll get some sort of exposition or narrative backstory as to what has transpired between the events of the cliffhanger ending of episode nine and where we are with the start of season two. Do I think there's going to be a long time jump where we see, for instance, large changes in character design uh, or large gaps of time that are unfilled? I don't think so. The most I could really see in the jump would be something like a month or two, maybe, maybe at most like a few months. But I think it's much more likely that it's going to be fairly immediate, just not one-to-one, -one, like, stitching together time. For instance, like, I, some folks know, if you're listening, that I write a fiction, a, a fic that is, it dovetails immediately with the end of episode nine. I do not anticipate that that is going to be how we are actually exposed to the new material. I think we're going to be pushed forward slightly in time, but not like a seven-year time jump the way that we had between acts one of season one and act two of season one. I hope that's helpful. Okay, next question is from Nini. And Nini, I'm so glad that you got a question in this time because I know that you were talking about how you wanted to. And it's a great question. So what do you think about the theory that Evander is Warwick? And if so, how do you think others, Jinx and Vi, but especially Vi would react? Uh, how, how would it affect them? I'm gonna be really transparent and say, I don't know anything about League of Legends lore. I know only about Arcane and barely about Arcane. So in the terms of like, I don't do a lot of outside research. I think I read through the archives a little bit, um, but even then I'm like, I, I watch enough Arcane, I can't spend, that's why I ask you all questions. I'll post on Twitter and tell you to tell me things because I just don't have time. I've already had so much, this is already like a part-time job for me. So do I think that Vanders Warwick? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I think that the foreshadowing is just too strong if they dis I mean, if they want to jerk the rug out from under us, sure, whatever. It's arcane. They're going to subvert us. But we see foreshadowing play out artfully in, in arcane a number of times. The most prominent time, I feel like, is when we, the opening of episode five, when we see Kate shooting. Yeah. And like the what are you shooting for kind of thing. We're informed at that point that she is an excellent shot from a young age and we are in that case taught to expect that we will see that prowess demonstrated for a meaningful reason you know what are you shooting for and we do so when we see Vi in trouble and we know that she's left Kate behind we can expect as an audience that we're going to see that gunfire to save Vi's life. We don't really expect, I, most of us, I don't think, would expect Vi to actually die. So the hero arrives and saves the day, and it's totally fine that that was foreshadowed, and it's totally fine that we are we have certain archetypes that help us anticipate things in literature. It doesn't feel tired. It just feels 
well um, well alluded to earlier in the narrative. And I think the same thing is true with Vander. So Vander is the hound of the underground. Okay, I'm led to understand that Warwick is a big werewolf, essentially. I don't really know, but I've seen the pictures. He's a big fluffy dog guy with like canisters of goo on him. So Hound of the Underground, we see at the very end in Singe's lab, a clawed and furry guy hanging from the ceiling. Again, I think that that is probably uh, Vander, that his, his body was preserved or maybe he was brought back and is going to be transformed into Warwick. Now, what is Jinx's or Vi, but you're saying especially Vi, I don't understand Jinx's character too well, um, so I'll talk about Vi, I guess. Uh, I think that it will be horrific for her to realize that. I'm wondering if Warwick will say something to her that makes her realize that it is Vander, and I don't relish watching that scene unfold. So I'm pretty horrified for that. My stomach's already sinking. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be horrific. <laughs> horrific. Let's move on, because now I'm sad. Okay, Lauren asked another question, and that is... Uh, it's funny. Thank you for um, not trying to spoil my fic. This question is kind of based on some characterization in my fic. Uh, chapter 5 of my fic, Saltwater, talks about how Caitlin has lit a fire in other people in the past. Assuming that this is how you perceive Caitlin and Cannon... Do you think these relationships are purely physical, or do you think she hoped for an emotional connection as well? Uh, I see Kate as a serial monogamist. I think that every relationship she would have had that she would have tried to find meaning in in that relationship, and I think she was probably extremely loyal. Um, I don't think that she... Um, I don't see her as being a player or anything like that. I think that she probably would have ended up dissatisfied with the relationships that she'd had because my suspicion would be that they would be too... Mm, steeped or couched in the political society that she dislikes so much, I think that she would have had a hard time finding someone that was as forthright as she was and that held similar perspectives to her if we're to understand that she truly believes herself to be a misfit. And I think that's why she likes Vi so much pretty much immediately is because Vi takes her on her merit is pretty no bullshit and that's appealing for Kate. So she knows where she stands with Vi. Vi is kind of an open book. She's fairly transparent um, and doesn't suffer fools, really. So the fact that uh, she earns Vi's trust is very meaningful for Kate because that's really all Kate wants is to be trusted and taken seriously and to have someone rely on her in a, in a way that isn't couched in deception. So... That's what I think about that. I don't think that... I think that Kate wanted wanted meaningful relationships, but probably couldn't find them the same way. Not long-term. I hope that helps. Thank you for that question, Lauren. Oh, no. I just... Never mind. Hang on. Everything's fine. I lost my place. Which is... It's good. Just you have this on in the background while you're, like, making pasta or something, or we're just going to scroll back down. Okay. Bees! Bees, you asked, do you think Vi and or Kate recognize the nature of their feelings towards each other as romantic? Or do you think one or both of them are kind of like, yeah, I'm feeling things. Now is not a good time to figure out what it is, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, great question. Um, I definitely think that they know they're feeling feelings. I think that Caitlin knows what's going on. I think that Vi is aware she's feeling feelings. Uh, I think the Vi is terrified by it and doesn't really... Ha I think she has a shortened time horizon due to her trauma, so I'm not sure she's really thinking through a future or anything like that. So I don't think that she's in Kate's company thinking about dating, if that's the question. I think that Kate wants more out of their romance their budding romance i think that you don't stand in the shower replaying somebody walking away from you over and over again in your head while biting your lip without having a pretty firm awareness that you have romantic interest in that person and 
I think that Kate has had enough, I would guess that Kate has had enough experience with dating and relationships to be well aware of her own feelings and to know what she wants and to know that she's lost what she wants. Uh, we're led to understand by the end of that shower scene. Uh, Vi has absolutely no baseline for healthy relationships. Um, she couldn't possibly. She was put into the water at the age of 15. So the elimination of the availability of healthy relationships that that whole situation entails, she wouldn't really know. I don't know. I mean, I think she would understand that she feels things for Kate. I do not think that she is processing those feelings in a way that would be recognizable to Kate necessarily because again yeah Vi has no baseline so this is probably if we're to understand the archives correctly probably one of the first ever romantic interests that she's had certainly one that's non-toxic and I don't know that she knows how to navigate it and I think that's fairly evident in her avoidance now, on top of all of this, crap's going down the entire time. And they've only known each other for, like, like three days. And it's all trauma. Like a trauma sandwich all over the place all the time. So are they clear-headed and clear-eyed and clear-hearted about what's going on? No. But they like each other. That's obvious. I think they want to be with each other. And I think that Kate is more equipped to handle that than Bai is. So... The yes, I am feeling feelings, now is not a good time to figure out what that is, though. I think that's more Vi. I think that Kate knows what's going on and that she would very much like to figure out what's going on. Uh, but situation sort of devolves before that can happen. AJ. AJ asks, do you think Jinx planned to launch that missile or is it a spur-of-the-moment decision? Fascinating question because I think that Jinx premeditates a lot and then makes spur-of-the-moment decisions. And so I'm not going to be able to answer this question super well because I don't really understand Jinx's character. She intimidates me a lot. So what I'll say is wow, Jinx has the capacity for precision planning and again premeditates a lot of her major activities. So obviously she premeditated what was going to happen at the bridge to some degree. Now her actually quote-unquote pulling the trigger and using the firelight bombs or the butterfly bombs or whatever you want to call them i don't think that that's how she planned to use them but she plans to get them there and that took a lot of forethought so she planned that horrific dinner party thing at the end of episode nine and she planned it well ahead. I mean, the level of detail in the construction of that scenario, she obviously had a specific idea in her mind of what she wanted to ha have happen. She obviously brought, I think it's fish bones, right? She brought her, her weapon to that scene that she was creating. Do I think that she necessarily knew that she was going to bomb the council chambers? Hmm... Don't know. I really don't know because I think that there is a level of intended unpredictability to Jinx. So I don't know if we're meant to know or expect that she knew what she was going to do because she obviously did other things in that scene that were unanticipated. That is not a very good answer to your question, and I apologize for that. But if I had to give you any sort of answer about Jinx as a character, it's yeah, it's the dichotomy between she plans and plans and plans and plans, and then at the last minute, something shifts and then she might not actually follow through with that with the end goal in the way that she maybe thought she was going to just a thought and then yuki's here trying to get me in trouble i know what you're doing yuki you know you know what you're doing you're being naughty so yuki has asked me a couple questions that are big ticket questions about jinx and fi and yuki asked and i i hedged on the last one that was asked but i won't hedge on this one because that's not fair so, do you think that Jinx is a good sister to Vi? I'm going to answer the question this way. I have in my life been depressed and anxious. That mental illness 
cause me to not function within my relationships in the best way toward the most important people in my life. I wasn't being the best partner. I wasn't being the best sibling. I wasn't being the best child to my parents. And it took me acknowledging that there was a problem and seeking help in order for me to be the best person I could be towards those in my life who I love so much and deem to be the most important people in my life. Jinx, and I barely even like to call her Jinx. I know that I know that that's who she is, that's her character, but it feels like a like a persona adopted out of trauma and it makes me uncomfortable. So often you'll hear me say Powder Jinx. So is Powder a good sister to Vi? Yes. Jinx as a person, as an entity, as a persona, I barely even consider Jinx to be Vi's sister. I want to be careful about that. But she is not well. And I do not think that someone who is that unwell, where they are a danger to both themselves and others, can be the best sister be the best daughter, be the best friend, the best partner, unless they're getting the type of help and support they need to be healed and healthy. So I I understand that this question might be angled in a way to try and get me to say, Jinx bad, bye, good. That's not what I'm going to say because I don't think that that is fair or accurate. I think that Jinx or Powder, really. Powder is very troubled. Powder has been through a lot. Powder has been put through medical experimentation, and I do not know that who is on the inside is the same or even capable of... I don't... I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I couldn't tell you if, like, Powder would even be competent to stand trial. Like, I, I don't know if she's aware of right or wrong. I think so, but it's hard to say. She's not, she's not well. So is she, that, that, and by necessity, I think that that means that, no, she's not being the best sister to buy because she, how could she be? She has her own things that she needs to work through. Just like I had my own things that I had to work through in order to be the best person in those relationships. This is a sensitive topic and I hope everyone understands I'm not a mental health professional. I'm just talking about Arcane. That is my perspective. I want to always regard these characters with compassion because some people, a lot of people relate to them in ways in real life, just the way that I relate to Kate. So I have compassion for anyone who's going through this or has been through something like I've been through where I felt like I needed to make some changes and put in the work in order to be better for the people in my life. I hope that makes sense. I hope that that is fair and compassionate. If it is not, please tell me so, and then I can revise my perspective and be 1% better every day. Okay, the cockroach asks, D, I want to call you D instead of the cockroach, but the cockroach is your chosen name, so that is what I will call you. Um, let's see. So this was a real, this is a broad question. I asked for some guardrails here. So if you think that there was an, uh, in an alternate c- scenario, an alternate world, um, where Kate and Vi met under different circumstances than in canon, would they fall in love? How would it differ? Um, <laughs> part of me wants to say, I have no idea. So I'm not one of those people that necessarily believes in like soulmates. So I think that we encounter pe- the people in our lives who become our one and only or our, you know, our life partner or whatever through a bunch of happy accidents and unforetold circumstances. I don't think there's any... I don't personally think there's any grand plan. That is just me. Everyone is entitled to their own worldview. That's just me. So do I think that Vi and Kate were destined for each other? No, I don't. I think that they encountered each other through a series of happy accidents and then fell in love that way. Um, Scenarios where I could see them meeting and then them falling in love, uh, I think that if, for instance... Just for instance, let's take an alternate universe where Powder, Crackshot, and Genius encounters Kate. Crackshot and Genius. And Vi sees Kate be kind to Powder and them bond together over their shared interests. Oh, I could see Vi falling pretty hard for Caitlyn because I think that the most important thing to Vi is family 
and to see someone treat her sister with love and respect um, would would I think kick open that door to potentially a relationship. Uh, and I think that's kind of what makes the whole situation in Arcane so tragic is because there's a lot of parallels between Powder and Caitlyn that I feel like if they met in another world, it, you know, Kate could easily have been a really positive influence, an older sister figure to Powder. So uh, it's it messes me up a little bit, some of their parallels, actually. Um, and enough that I try not to think about it too much. But yeah, like that's a scenario I could see them meeting and falling in love, despite other differences that they share. Again, I think that Vi is intrinsically meritocratic, and I think that Kate intrinsically would want to be taken on her merit. So that I think that, that regardless of any other scenarios, uh, the additional removal of, of traumas, I think that that could have brought them together uh, in a way that could lead them to a relationship. But they could just as easily have not. So take that as you will. I, I, pref I like the idea that they would fall in love in any universe, but I don't think that that's true. <laughs> oh, Jess. Jess asks, this is a fun one. I almost was going to leave this to last, but it's next in the line, so we're going to talk about it now. If they kiss, who do you think is going to initiate first? Oh, I love kissing so much. I love romance so much. This gives me butterflies just thinking about it. Okay. Um, how do I think it's going to happen versus how do I want it to happen? I hope that they're close. So I'm just going to say what I want to have happen because this is self-indulgent. I can say whatever I want. This is my podcast that we're calling The Last Mic Drop. Whatever. Um, I think that Kate is going to posture or organize her posture in a way that makes it evident that she would like to kiss. I think Vi is then going to lean in, get shy, but she will have demonstrated enough intent that Kate is uncomfortable and willing closing the gap. That's what I want because I think that that makes the most sense with who they are portrayed to be as characters. And I think it would be very romantic to see that because I can't really imagine a scenario. <sighs> That's not true. Of course I can imagine. I can imagine all sorts of scenarios. But I can't really imagine, really, a scenario where Vi just outright like grabs her and kisses her. And I also can't really imagine that from Kate either, because I feel like more and more Kate exercises caution around Vi and like, a tenderness and a respect for her boundaries. I think that the contact that we see after the shimmer scene kind of freaked her out. That wasn't a cognizant choice that she made. I think she sort of fell into that contact and I kind of put it in its own bucket when looking at the types of intimate interaction that the two of them have. So, you know, obviously Kate wants to kiss her in that moment, but is has the wherewithal to be like, uh, she's recovering from actual medical shock. <laughs> I've just drugged her with hard street drugs to save her life. Maybe kissing is not in the cards at the moment, and I respect her for that, because if she'd kissed fire in that moment, I think we all would have been gooey, and then had to go, hmm, <laughs> because, um, yeah, I don't know, so I, I, I think that, I think that, I hope it's very tender and very slow, and very crisply animated, because I think that if that is done with nuance, I think we're all gonna die. I think we're all gonna just fold up into flame and disappear if they do it right. And I I hope that this studio knows the power that they have over all of us, because it is Eldritch level. Okay, that's what I want to have happen. The other thing that I don't want to have happen, but I think might happen, is I think it might be a fraught kiss, where like, someone's running off to war and someone's gonna kiss someone and grab them by the collar and like i love you goodbye i don't want that i want it to happen in a quiet moment and i want it to be tender and cute and i just want it to be soft because there's not enough soft in this freaking show uh in case anyone's wondering that is not how it's going to happen in salt water but i'm going to make it messy and human but that's fine because i want what i want is a show to do it like this <laughs> Okay, more.
Uh, what do you think is going to happen with Savika? Do you think she's going to take over as a Ken Baron, like take Soko's place? Oh my god, I love Savika so much. I mean, listen, you all see me post about Kate and Vi all the time, because that's what I'm here for. I'm writing a fic on them, and I spend way too much time thinking about them and their relationship. But I need you to understand, I adore every arcane character, every frame of that show is just, it bathes my brain in serotonin. So, you Ambessa? Great, let's talk about Ambessa. Mel, amazing. I don't understand people that don't like Mel. She's one of the most subtle and well-written characters in the entire show. Fight me about it. God, the Poros. Give me all the Poros. I just want to look at them all the time. It's fantastic. So, you know what? You want to know my dirty secret? I like Jace, too. I'm not sure I understand the Jace hate, but that's because I love every character. You know how much work went into all of them? So much work. I love them all. I love Silco. He's a villain, and he's awful, and I love him for it. That's how I feel. Savika is incredible. I'm literally dragging my hands down my face right now. She's one of my favorite characters that I've ever seen in any show ever. I'm not answering your question. I'm going to do that now. So what do I think is going to happen with Sadiqa? I don't know. Except for the fact that, like, okay, here, again, I'm just going to tell you what I want to have happen because I really don't know. This is, I'm really, so I'm really in, I like people and I like relationships and I can really hyper-focus on like gestures and dialogue and how people relate to one another, but I'm not super good with anticipating like the grand scheme of the like the political machinations of a, of a world. I'm not good at it. I'm not even really good at plot necessarily. I can identify literary elements and kind of help maybe predict some things. I, oh, okay. So with Savika, what we see about her character in season one is that she, she pigeonholes herself as a follower, despite being extremely adept very intelligent, wildly cunning, an incredible fighter. She doesn't position herself as a leader, and we see Finn actually talk to her about that. Like, why? You're a scary lady. I love that line, by the way. You're a scary lady. Why aren't you in charge, basically? I don't remember her actually answering that question, uh, except just say, well, don't flatter me or don't try to flatter me into being disloyal. That's essentially the, the crux of what she says there. I'm paraphrasing. What I would love to see for her is for her to not be a static character. So a static character, if I'm remembering the definition right, and in the case you don't know, is a character that doesn't really grow, that doesn't really change over the course of, of, a, uh, of a narrative. They're who they are at the beginning, and they're the same person at the end, and things just sort of happen around them. And they can be wonderful characters, but they don't they're not dynamic and the dy dynamic characters change dynamic characters go through an evolution and we want to kind of grow with them and we follow their progress and uh, they're very uh they really enrich the narrative itself so we have a lot of dynamic characters in arcane i don't see Sivika as being particularly dynamic in season one she seems to be fairly static I want that to change. I want to see Savika step into her role as leader and be the most incredible antagonist I've seen in a really long time. There's so much potential for her character, I'll be extremely frustrated if they misuse her or don't use her at all. I'm hopeful that she just blows our minds next season because everything about her is fantastic. I love her so much. And I also love the fact that she's disability representation. I just want to throw that out there because I think that that isn't talked about a lot. She has an adaptive device. Like, I don't, that, we don't have to talk about that too much now, but she's so cool. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gushing about Sadika. But I think for me, what's most interesting about her is that she is all business. And I think that she has a very clear head. And I think she is better than Soko as an antagonist because she is more clear about her goals and i think she's more willing to do whatever it takes to reach her goals i don't know what would stand in sabika's way if she actually got in charge and decided to start running a tight ship and runs on the way that she wanted to i would love to see her take soko's place i think that is the best case scenario because I also am intrigued by her and Vi's relationship. I am intrigued by 
uh, the level of emotional cunning that Savika has, and we see her really read and dismantle characters emotionally with her perceptiveness. So we see her do it to Jinx, although Jinx is more resilient to it than Vi is. So Vi is extremely vulnerable emotionally all the time. She's a bleeding heart. It's right there on her sleeve. And Savika knows that, and she weaponizes it against her in order to put her off balance. I love that about Savika. I don't agree with the things that she does. Let me be perfectly clear. Like, she was ready to murder children. I don't like that. <laughs> but I love her as a character because she's so intriguing. And if she does not play a primary role in the events of season two, I'll be very sad and disappointed. I think that's all the questions. Did I really get through all of them? Watch this be super long. I think I got everybody. If I didn't, I'm really sorry. I'm looking at the feed here and I'm pretty sure I answered everything. This has been super fun. I'm very excited and hyped up now. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna talk really quick about one more thing that I was thinking about and I posted it as a sleepy time thought and now it has like 800 likes, whatever. So I posted this thing that says, I literally, I was laying in bed with my eyes closed and I was falling asleep and this is what happens to me because I'm fully, all my, all my brain is just worm now. It's not brain worms, the worms are my brain. So I open my eyes and I'm like, oh, Caitlin's affectionate, Vi is intimate. What do I mean by that? Uh, if you go back and you actually watch how they touch people, uh, Vi is much more intimate in how she initiates contact. So the way that she like tenderly touches people, how she really wraps people up in hugs and kind of like full on like back of the head full on in the arms like pulling people in really close that's very intimate and the way that she touches people's faces and the way she's so gentle and it's so antithetical to how we might excuse me how we might be primed to see her character as maybe aggressive or violent she's really not i think she hates fighting and i think it is i think erodes her emotionally to be honest i think it's more of a coping mechanism than anything else i think she started fighting to protect because she loves so much and now a lot of her aggression uh, is due to trauma. So, putting that out there. But then even you know, when she... There's a moment that I'm like, oh my god. Just the animation and the tenderness and the portrayal of uh, a lesbian relationship on screen. When they're hugging, when they're hugging on the bridge, the moment where I was like, oh my god, this is the most delightfully romantic and also gay shit I've ever seen. It's when Vi is hugging her and you see that shot and her hand, like her fingers, like tighten a little bit on the back of Caitlyn's neck, skin to skin contact. Like, oh my God, whoever is doing this knows what they're doing because that is the good shit right there. That's so intimate. That's so caring. And then as a response, and I, I say this a lot, Caitlyn mirrors behavior. And again, if she is intended to be neurodivergent coded, that makes sense. We see then Caitlyn kind of tuck into the hug more and kind of nuzzle into Vi. In a way, Vi teaches Kate how to touch her. And it's incredibly heartwarming. So we're all so aware of that face touch when they're in the bedroom, when Caitlyn reaches out to stroke Vi's face. Vi taught her how to do that. I don't think that that behavior is innate to Kate. I think that Vi being so affectionate with her on the bridge because I believe Vi thought that that was the last time that she was going to see her. I mentioned this before. I won't get into it. But the lingering, long, gentle, tender face touch, the mapping of the face, that is extremely intimate behavior. She touches her face again after the bombs go off. And so... Kate then mirrors that behavior back to Vi because that is then permissible. So as someone who I myself am, like there are types of physical contact that I would that, that I initiate that I would describe as affectionate. I will hug people. In fact, I like to be in control of the hug because I do not like to necessarily be hugged. I like as like I like to be on the outside of the hug. Uh, I will wait until. I see how someone wants to interact with me 
before I initiate certain types of contact. And this was probably more relevant when I was dating as opposed to now I am married. And so my wife likes all the contact. So I really don't have to worry. I could literally just lay on top of her and she would love it. Her love language is literally all of them. And I could just throw them all at her all at once and she would roll around in it like a puppy. It's great. Um, but with Kate, she is she uses affection, as I mentioned earlier in this recording, she uses affection almost as an adaptation to reflect her internal state and the fact that she cares. Vi is intimate in a way that I don't think is innate to Kate. So that's why I call that out. I had a sleepy time thought. Like, right. When I write them, I need to remember that because, yeah, and, and I actually do that in the fix. So like, if, you, if you've read it, there's a moment where they have this talk, I think it's in chapter five, where they have this kind of like fraught exchange and Kate asks Vi to give her her hand and then she starts like rubber arms and then she starts kind of teasing Vi about how how bright her blush is and then Vi covers Kate's mouth with her hand like kind of like like shush like don't enough like let's not talk about that and then I have Kate mirror that in the hallway in chapter seven so Caitlin actually puts her, her hand over Vi's mouth, but she wouldn't have done that if Vi hadn't done it first. So that's so how I see them. And I see Vi as setting the setting the boundaries, and then Kate will mirror those those actions back because she's like, oh well then that's okay. It's not always okay. Because just because someone acts a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready to receive that back um especially someone who's been through so much but as a baseline i think that's how kate is operating just a hunch so she's affectionate whereas vi is the intimate one and now i will shut up because i have talked for a very long time this was great i hope everyone enjoyed listening to this if you have this on in the background or something or whatever also i hope everyone's doing well i hope everyone is and if you're not i hope maybe this made you feel a little better i don't know most of you but i care about all of you and i think you're all so great and i see how y'all treat each other and i just want you to know you are seen and you are loved and i am so happy to be here with all of you you're very creative and you're very caring and i love the types of things that you model i love this fandom for how it models uh an emphasis on improving mental health and especially on the spicy side. I love how y'all model enthusiastic consent and loving relationships and setting boundaries. God, y'all teach the world more about loving queer relationships than any young person is gonna get in a, in a health class. So I hope, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just happy to be here. Y'all feel like a nice, safe, responsible group of people, and you make me happy. So I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to answer any questions if you want to hear me ramble about it. So I am going to, so again, yeah, shut up now, because I will keep talking, because I just do that. But I will then post this, and you can tell me what worked and what didn't, and you can tell me where I'm wrong, because I'm probably wrong in a lot of spots. All right, I'll talk to y'all next time.